This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So I, I was particularly excited when uh, Brandon, when you when you invited me to speak, because it wasn't just like, let's just you know speak and, and hear. We really need you to speak on like this. Can you speak? Uh, it, it was like, well, what would you like to speak on, Ben? And and that that's what I love to hear because it's like I just have the freedom to talk about whatever I want. And and this is this is a, a type of topic to where um, I'm going to give a heads up ahead of time for all the listeners out there. What you're gonna hear is is gonna be it's gonna be a little bit pushy. It's gonna be a little bit uh, might rub you a little bit the wrong way, or maybe maybe it might you might like it. But it's it's just gonna be a little bit provocative, and um, I do it on purpose. But I also do it because I think there are some nuggets in here that are worth thinking about that I don't think a lot of people do think about, or maybe we do think about we just don't necessarily talk about. Um, or maybe I'm just in my own world and, and you guys think about this stuff all the time and I'm just, I, I don't know. But um, I do want to talk about kind of welding or uh, the, the relationship between art and business. And um, to kind of give some background on me, on why, where I come from. So basically, I mean, I'm an, I'm an animator or you see here on the front slide. Um, that is my background and more specifically a, f- a film background, but I have been in games um, I, I, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I, I've, half my career has been in film and half my career has been in games. So I've been an animator for 15 years. And um, kind of like one of the my highlights that, that I was pretty proud of is, is I was the youngest animator at my first job, which is Blue Sky. Blue Sky is... Um, I'm sure you guys know, but just in case anybody doesn't, um, they're known for doing Ice Age. And so I came on for the film Ice Age 2. And I was, I was age 20 when I started at the, um, animating for, for them. Um, since then, I've, I've traveled all around the world. I worked at nine different companies in six different countries. And I've contributed to um, three Academy Awards as well as three additional nominations. And some of the notable projects that I've worked on, these are film projects, is um, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, part three, actually, Pirates 3. Also, Avatar. I worked on Avatar, Happy Feet, Iron Man Part 2. This was before... This is right as Marvel was starting to ramp up and become like a worldwide phenomenon in, in the live-action space. And then um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes um, is another another one that was nominated for Academy Award. And right now, I'm currently working in mobile games. So I have some game experience. Um, or mobile game experience. I know it might be different from from AAA titles, but I feel like there's there's a lot of similarities. So what am, what am I going to talk about in in this talk? So I'm going to start with my backstory, which, by the way, my credentials there was not my backstory. I'm going to actually kind of express a little bit of where I came from, my journey of how I got to where I am. And then I'm going to talk about business mindset because the journey to get where I am now, it couldn't like I. It's almost like to turn a blind eye to a business mindset, it would be just not uh, 
ignoring a lot of what I went through. Then I also want to define quality. This is where it starts to get controversial. And this is what I think you guys really want to be here for us. That's whenever I start to define quality. And then I'm going to end it off. Uh, like All this is funneling into this really big... Um, um, uh, sort of, I've got these these taboo production methods that I've kind of. Oh, I'm scared to say this because I I don't want if I have colleagues watching I don't, I don't want them to think of me differently you know but um, there there are production methods that I think are just efficiency methods that don't necessarily hurt the quality but it's sort of taboo because it's kind of like well shouldn't uh, shouldn't a true artist not be doing those things but it's like. Okay, so I, I'll, that's just like a little teaser when I, when I get to that point. So these are the four things that I'll be talking about today. Okay, so the goal the goal of this talk overall, if we, if we were if we were to get anything out of this as a group, as a community, it's to it's basically for an artist to attain a business mindset without compromising aesthetic passion. So there's going to be a little bit. I, I, I mean, compromise, is that the right word? I don't know if I'd say compromise, but there's going to be just some back and forth and understanding. It's, I think that's the word I, I want to use. Some understanding and collaboration between art and business and not to consider one better than the other, but just to understand that they can work really well together. Now, as I, as I mentioned before, I'm going to give a word of caution because this talk is controversial. And I have a clip here of one of my favorite... 2D animated films, which is uh, uh, Emperor's New Groove. Um, I, I, okay, I just love this film. But anyways, this is going to be a very uh, controversial, some of the stuff that I talk about. So don't hate on me. I, I, uh, I have reasons for everything that I'm saying, but that's not, that doesn't mean that I'm definitely absolutely right. And if you don't do what I'm doing, what I'm saying, then you guys are just low quality or you guys don't want success. It's not what I'm saying. I just think it's worth talking about, thinking about. And if at the end of the day you're like, dude, screw that guy, over. I don't, I don't like any of that. Then that's that's fine. But at least, at least we can talk about it. Okay, so let's get into the backstory. So it'd be impossible to talk about my backstory without talking about the big word, baseball. What on earth does baseball have to do with where we're going? <laughs> you know, it has it has a lot to do with my career because what happened is. Um, when I was younger, all I wanted to do, I grew up in the Midwest, and all I wanted to do was play baseball. That was it. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a relationship. I, I just um, um, I focused a little bit on school. I was like a B student. But all I cared about was baseball. I just wanted to go play baseball and play on the best team and practice. And, and that's, all, and all, that's all, all I wanted to do. And, and um, the first point there, I dedicated my life. Truly, that's, that's what I did. That's all I wanted to do. And I failed miserably miserably i gotta tell you guys this it was a miserable failure okay oh my gosh it was um imagine and and i'm gonna try to relate this a little bit so that anybody watching who doesn't play baseball or whatever doesn't check out because what i want to do is relate this to something and everybody watching this might have a passion that they've dedicated to um and imagine dedicating your passion to that one thing for for me, it was like 14 years of my life. By the time I was 18, 19 years old, when I realized that baseball was a failure, I, the vast majority of my life was dedicated to this passion. And then I realized that I, it wasn't just that I didn't make it all the way. It was that I wasn't even really that good at it. I was like blinded by my, by my just drive to go for it and, and you know, my, 
my very loving and caring parents were like, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, and unfortunately, it didn't quite work out in my, in my favor, at least when it comes to baseball. But what I did learn a lot from this, but I, I kind of, I kind of want to like take a moment because like that was, that was such a big moment in my life. And I, I don't want to like overlook it. So just, um, just be, be, be with me on this. Okay. Because, uh, it was a, it was a hard a hard thing. Okay, I there there are sh- some sheer tears tears shed. There are some tears shed for sure when I found out that I wasn't even good at all. I couldn't even go play college because I wasn't good enough. Um, okay, but what happened was it reformed my mindset big time. Totally reformed my mindset, and I I learned on my own that you don't always get what you work for, and. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not, this isn't like a discouraging message. Okay, I find it very encouraging. And and for some people out there, they're like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I've done that for a while." Well, I had to learn that on my own. And and what I had to do was refocus. Stop trying to like. Don't follow your dream. It, this is what I told myself: Don't follow your dream. Follow your reality. Find something you're good at, then pursue that. And it turns out, I really liked animation. And turns out that I was actually pretty good at it. And within, uh, uh, I, I went to a one-year school. And then at the end of that one-year school, I ended up working at Blue Sky at the end of it. And a lot of it came down to the mindset that was reformed from baseball. And a lot of that mindset came down to... Um, well, first of all, nobody's going to know me as, as well as me. Nobody's going to be able to, to um, know what is best for me except for me. And so I had grown up being like, just listen to authority. They know what's best when they tell you to practice, or this is how you, this is how you swing the, the bat, or this is how you throw the ball. You just got to listen to what they say. There's some truth to that, but, but they're not going to know me as much as me. And I really just need to know for myself how to do it. And that's how the kind of mindset I took into animation. And uh, this was very um, um, pivotal in my career because in school, Taking this mindset, my failure in baseball and reforming my mind, taking that mindset into school. And remember, I went to a one-year school. There were some things that that um, I I was questionable on, on what my school wanted me to do. So, for instance, as an anima- taking the animation path, they wanted me to work on a short film. And for me, I was like, I'm doing research. I want to go work for Pixar. I want to go work for Blue Sky. Um, what what are people doing to get into those companies? And the research that I did showed that people were doing animation tests, not short films. And they were doing like a weight test or an acting test, maybe 10-second clips and not like a 60-second or two, three-minute short film. And so I was like, I've just got to do the test. So I, I scrapped the short film, which was against uh, recommendation. And I just did tests because I was like, dude, I've been here before. All right. I've had the coach who told me this is all you need to do. Just work on a swing, do this. And, um, and I've done it exactly how they say, and, and I sucked at it. Um, and so I took that mindset into, into, into school when they said, you got to do the short, short film. You got to do the short film. This is what companies want. I was like, I'm, that's not what I see. I'm just going to, sorry. You know, my experience has told me otherwise. I'm gonna, I've got to do what, what I feel convicted to do. So, um, and this is really interesting because when I had my interview with Blue Sky, I put in uh, 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 my my reel. Back then, it was a tape. If you can believe it or not, it was a tape. This was back in 2005. And um, the very first thing, I'm not even joking, the very first thing that, that the interviewer said before we started watching my reels, they said, is this your entire short film? I said, no. These are just animation tests. And they said, good. Okay. Keep going. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I was like so vindicated by then. I was like... 
wow, I, I feel like I really made the right decision. And I feel really pumped about that. And, and then I ended up getting a job. So, so that was good. Um, so that was a big turning point on my career uh, early in school. And remember, this is all funneling. Remember, it started with my passion for baseball and what I learned from there, brought my failure from there. And I brought it into um, my, my experience in school. And then, but it didn't end there because I also brought that into my experience with work. And so my very first job at, at Blue Sky, I actually want to show you guys a clip here. But um, I, I have here on the second point, I stole a shot during my first job. And essentially what happened was um, um, I was like a fixed animator. I was getting shots that were, you know, like maybe leaves blowing in the wind, um, animating a character that was like two pixels tall in a distant you know, or background characters. That was like what I was hired on to do. And, um, and they have an internal system of handing out shots and you check your, uh, every morning you would check what shots you have and you start working on them. And so one morning I had a shot that I was like, whoa, this is like a, what we're, what we call a hero shot. And, um, this looks like it's not supposed to be given to me. Um, what am I going to do about it? And I knew, I knew that that once they found out, they would give the shot to somebody else. So I was like, I've got a, I've got a window of opportunity here. And this is, this is like key. This is the funnel of what I learned from baseball, what I learned from school. I was like, this is a moment of opportunity, and I've got to freaking take it because I, technically, I complete ignorance, work on the shot, and say, oh well, I didn't, I didn't know it's supposed to go to somebody else. And um, but I was like, I'm going to freaking take this opportunity, and. Um, and I worked really hard that day and late that night to block out my shot. And, <clears throat> and then I showed it to the director before the producer could see, uh, uh, before the producer could see it. And the producer is the one who hands out the shots. And so um, the director who, you know, it's not his job to understand who does what shot. So he, he just was, you know, he critiques on what he sees and, and that's all he cares about. So he, he looked and said, okay, yeah, it looks good. Approved. Okay, no joke. Next day, uh, next day, um, the next morning, the producer messages me and says, "Oh, we didn't mean to give you that shot." Now I already knew this. I already knew this was coming. I knew it. So I said, um, and I'm trying to be as as professional as possible. I said, "Hey, um, that's cool. You know, I, I understand. You know, I'd, uh, you can give it to somebody else. But just so you know, just so you know, it's already been blocking approved by the director." Ooh, that was. That was a bit of a curveball there, right? And I can almost... It was in an email, but I can almost see the producer's thinking thought process. And she responded and said, okay, go ahead and continue it. Oh my gosh, that was such a big moment for me. Because what happened was, ever since I did that shot, my work has never been the same since. And I've gotten some... I got really great shots after that point. And, um, um, and it's been great. And here was the shot. And don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into how the, all this ties into to games and all that stuff. But just in case anybody's wondering, I'm going to play this shot a few times. It's just the simple one of the, this beaver kid jumping on Sid's head. That's all it was. It was just up and down, the beaver jumping on Sid's head. And I was in charge. This is the very first shot in my career that I was in charge of everything. Everything that you see moving, I was in charge of. And um, originally, I was just supposed to do the background characters. But um, when I blocked out the shot and the director liked it... Um, Anyways, the rest is history. So that's kind of, I thought that was a big, nice little turning point for me. Okay. All right. From this point, I, was, I started to work on really cool projects and, and 
great shots. Like I, it was, it was, I felt really good about my career, but um, I was also like unsatisfied in terms of wanting to understand the business side of things. And so when I got to a point where I was really comfortable to just keyframe animation and, and not feel um, like I need to prove myself, I was like, well, what, what can I start doing with, with maybe ideas or passions that I have and bringing them into businesses? And um, I won't get into all the businesses that I tried, but I did try a number, like a dozen or so. And um, it got it, it, essentially what I've learned was you've really got the best thing that can happen with a business is to succeed. And um, actually, this may have been I, I'm, this may have been talked about um, um, with one of the other presenters, if I remember correctly. But succeed, of course, is the best thing that can happen. The next best thing that can happen with a venture is to fail quickly. Very quickly, the quicker it can fail, the 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 the, more, the closest it can be to to being um, um, the next best thing, and and I learned that the hard way. I was on a project for like four years, uh, my own personal project, um, and ta- I even talked with venture firms. And long story short, I, I it wasn't going anywhere, and I had to throw in the towel. And I could have known that like within six months, um, but I just I refused to let go and. And that was that was tough, and and it's a tough decision because sometimes if you refuse to let some things go, then it ends up being a success. But sometimes it, it doesn't, and and I had to. I basically shouldn't have ignored the red flags. There were red flags that um, were very bright and clear, and I should have not ignored them. Anyways, um, through through these ventures that I was doing during my time on film, during my time where I was working 60, 70 hours a week, I had to learn efficiency methods, and. These are the methods, methods that ended up getting the job done. I think high quality, but it kind of left you know the question of, well, is that really what you're supposed to be doing? But what I, what ended up happening is opened my eyes to the world, the world of business, and kind of understanding that what keeps me in that seat, in that at this job, whatever job I'm at, first and foremost is is um, if the project is making money. That's like the number one thing. I'm going to actually rush through this because I feel like this, this business mindset is a little bit less important. But um, uh, essentially, if, my, um, uh, uh, if I'm generating money for my company, that's what's going to keep me in my chair. That's what's going to keep my job. Yes, talent is involved. But what's more important than talent is re- generating revenue. And that's... that's that's the the point. And so some some of the points here is uh, job security is more connected to finance than than talent. That's something that I that I have experienced. Um, and th- this is maybe the first dose of of controversy here is 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 I would say that a quality artist who doesn't generate money is less valuable than a mediocre artist who does. And I can't imagine this being different for any whether you're a startup or whether you're a seasoned, you know, been around for fifty years a company. I, I, I would imagine this is the same no matter what. It's it's um, the, the the quality is associated with whether or not it can generate revenue, and uh, too often artists can can be so focused on uh, the aesthetics that we forget that hey man we, we got to make money out of this somehow. Uh, it's it's not a for it's not a nonprofit thing. Okay, so when I say that quality artists. Uh, who doesn't generate money is less valuable than a mediocre, mediocre artist who does. It brings up a very, very big question of what, what is quality? What exactly is quality? If, if, um, if we're saying that a great artist doesn't generate revenue, how does that even, you know, for some people that might not even 
connect because what do you mean a great artist would generate revenue well let's get into maybe what the definition of quality is so i have an example here of mcdonald's right everybody knows about the mcdonald's chain and um is that is mcdonald's a quality company now some people can argue ah like ah their burgers are nasty or something or the, a lot of people can take pride knowing i had last time i ate at mcdonald's was 5 years ago i've i've had conversations with friends where it's like we had a a contest of who when's the last time somebody ate at mcdonald's cuz it was so gross but if it was such a bad quality product why have has their business model been copied by so many companies over the last 80 years right so it's it's you got it's an interesting way to look at this because the same thing can be applied to art projects, games, and films. It's like you can look at at something that say, um, man, I, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but let's let's say there's a project that that is not very high aesthetic quality, but it generates a lot of money, and the reason is because they they develop a system that that works really well, and their audience and it provides what their audience wants. And it's like, well, how can I say that's a low quality product when their their audience is so happy with it? So I'm I kind of break down quality into external and internal. And um, what I mean by that is exter- external is what the the consumers see. So whether it be like an iPhone or a movie or a game, that's that's the external product. And a lot of times, can, people can associate, hey, that's a great company, a great product because because it functions like that. That film was really good, but there's also an internal product that I think we shouldn't overlook. Um, so you got external and internal. Internal is is um, is the process that creates what consumers see. So internal is the process that creates the external. And if the internal process isn't really good, then I almost want to say it doesn't matter what the external is because even if the external just happened to have a unicorn situation where it turned out like uh, winning the lottery and it turned out to be a really great product, if the team isn't even cohesive on the inside and there's no way to replicate what's going on and and, and uh, th- there's like... Um, um, uh, division within within the company of how to run this, even even though it is uh, the external product is good, it's like that's going to fail. It's still going to fail if the internal product isn't good. And um, so I'm, I say here, without quality in both areas, both internal and external, um, the business will fail or the the product will fail eventually, and so will our jobs. So I I just I I, I say this somewhat controversial, but I. In my experience, I find that artists are masters of external quality. We know, we understand how to. It's our passion to to create that brushstroke that's just perfect, or to create that animation that's just amazing, or the characters, and and to to create the most visually stunning work that can be shown to an audience that we're really proud of. We're masters of that. But what I think we oftentimes lose sight of is the internal quality. How is this replicated? How what do we do about how this makes money? Um, I remember in in high school, and I gosh, it's crazy how I remember this. But um, there was there was um, a really talented artist in my uh, art class, and she was she was creating these pictures for for um, people who uh, uh, she was making commissions off of off these these original artworks, and and um, and she was getting more work than she could handle. And and uh, I remember my teacher saying like, you know. It would be a lot less stressful for you, and you probably make a lot more money if you just 
printed them instead of hand drew every one of them. You would sell them for less, but you could sell a lot more. And in the end, everybody would be happy. So that, that was just like an example of, of like, I know it's our passion to create the most original fine piece of art. But imagine if, if we just connect it with business a little bit. And and have the internal quality, and in that in that example, the internal quality of of this artist would be that she gets more time to herself, and she could probably focus on other things, and she'd also make revenue from it. Okay, so um, since we, I believe that artists know about what external quality is, I'm going to talk about internal quality, and what I'm talking about specifically is, is not I'm not talking about like a robust pipeline. So some some viewers watching might be like, oh yeah, I totally agree. Internal quality, it's like, yeah, we need to have like a really good file system and we need to have the tools in place. Yeah, kind of. That's it. But I'm talking more of like the mindset. Like, like we don't have to get into the intricate details of like how to set up a system. We could just talk about a philosophy, a mindset that's the internal quality. And if this mindset can hook up with all everybody involved, then I think that is is quality in itself without even creating anything yet. So this mindset, what, what, what are some of the things I'm talking about? Team compatibility. So, so I say this, a great team without an idea is better than a great idea without a team. Um, I'm going to say it again, because I, I, think, I think it's so, so powerful. So like a, a great team without an idea is still better than a, uh, is better than a great idea without a team. I remember going to uh, venture firms when I had my my business idea and I was trying to pitch the idea and and something I learned that even when I was talking with with these uh, angel investors is they they basically did not care it's almost like they didn't care what what the idea was like the idea was about 5% of their interest what they cared about the most was who the team is is the team experienced? Is the team passionate? Is the team uh, can they actually do what they say they're going to do? That's really what matters. And and a, a, a venture capitalist is far more likely to get to jump on board with somebody who is um, uh, who has a great team, and all they have to do is find a good idea. It's it, this might this might be hard to say, but but um, ideas are a dime a dozen. So I just I just want to give a moment for a reaction. <laughs> I, I, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's so easy to come up with an idea. Ideas are so easy and so cheap. What's really, really hard is how to implement an idea and to implement an idea successfully. That's that's where the real juice is. Like, for so for somebody to say like, "Oh, I had this idea and somebody stole it," like, "Ah, screw them!" And now now my life's ruined. Yes, some of that's true, but if they were able to implement it. They were they were levels ahead of anybody who couldn't implement it and just had a great idea. Okay, I just had to go off on a little tangent there. Um, talent is another internal quality, but but um, as I mentioned before, uh, a great artist who can generate revenue is is uh, a great artist who can't generate revenue is not as valuable as a mediocre artist who could. So back to the high school example where I said the 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 student who was drawing um, and selling her drawings, she's talented, sure. But um, somebody who can, who's not as talented as her, but who figured out the business mindset, who could just print and then find an audience who wants their work and then just dish out these prints really easily, who's more valuable, right? It, maybe I'll just leave that as a question instead of, instead of giving a judgment to it. Um, 
Okay, I think internal another internal aspect will be managing the whole product, not just the art. And I know I know we know this, but um, I think uh, there, there's one uh, one of the points in my, in my at the end in the taboo section where where um, I'll mention now where it's like uh, uh, as artists we think that all we need to do is create something that's high quality and the money will come naturally. Mm, that's touchy. That's touchy. Is it? Is it really? Is that really the case? Um, so this is where I say manage. And I'm going to talk about more about that later. This is where I say manage the whole product, not just the art. Who's the audience? How can we market to the audience? Marketing is so huge. Um, how do we? How do we get the word out? How do we? How do we make it functional to to the audience? Now for film, it's really the functionality is easy. It just needs to, you know. Fit in a digital form in the theater or something or on your computer screen, but um, uh, as a game, it needs to be f- interactive function. Um, that's we got to manage the whole product and not not just the aesthetics. Uh, boundaries for success, and what I mean specifically with this is um, timelines. Okay, this is the biggest word that comes to mind for me is timelines when I talk about boundaries for success. Very easily, and I've heard this many many times. Where let's say I'm on a team. And and something doesn't turn out as good as we wanted, but we know we can, we know we can make it that good if we just had more time. And it's true. Hey, if I just had more time. However, we work in a business world, my friends. Timelines are necessary, <laughs> and if we can't deliver within the timeline that we promised. Then we haven't delivered. We we can't say that we're gonna we we're creating high quality when when we can't even deliver in the timeline. Now that there's some back and forth with that, you know. But but I'm just saying timelines are important, and it's hard as artists. It's hard for artists to really wrap our heads around that and be okay with that sometimes. But they are very important, and I think in some ways they can be our friends. Maybe that deserves a whole talk in itself, but I won't get too far into it. Um, and then lastly, which I think is the most important thing, is is replicability. It's it's just if you can r- replicate what you're doing, whether it be a film or whether it be a game or whether it be the process inside the game. Like in mobile games, we have a, a content cadence, which is different from AAA games. AAA is is like you have a, a, a four year production and then a big payoff. You know that that you sell millions of copies of of the game over the course of a few months and then trickles off. You know. Years after that, mobile games is is just a st- steady content cadence, and um, um, so especially within mobile games, it is can we repeat what we're doing? Do we actually know what the audience wants enough to repeat it, and do, are we are we proficient enough internally to be able to re- repeat it without burning ourselves out or or anything like that? I think replicability is a massive aspect to consider when when thinking about internal quality. Um, and so, and I'm touching on this just a little bit, but um, but I, to me, a product is not quality if it was built on a system that that can't be maintained because it burns people out. So, again, it's so easy to look at super high aesthetics and super high talented people and be like, "That's so great! We can create the greatest thing ever." But if if it was if it burns people out because it takes so much work, or if it runs out of money because we keep missing our timelines. How can we call that quality? How can we call that quality, even if it has the best people, the best artists on it? So, just some aspects there. Okay, so now, now for the juicy bits. I, I hope we're doing okay on time. I don't see any. I don't see any uh, 
hate messages so far. I don't see anybody uh, uh, say, uh, tell me to hurry or anything. So that's good. So the juicy bits that I'm talking about is um, the taboo production method. So this is going to be... If you, if you missed the entire production until now, th- this is the juicy bits. And basically, everything I set up until now funnels into these, these controversial statements that I want to make. That again, I'm not saying this is absolutely true. And if you don't follow it, then you're, you're a dummy. It's just something worth talking about. And everything that I've set up till now funnels into why I've come to some of these conclusions. All right. So the first production method that I have learned in my experience is to reuse artwork. Reuse artwork. Now, <clears throat> let me take a drink of water. Okay, my friends. So, in the, this is going to be so controversial. In, let's say, uh, uh, um, if you're going to write a book or a newspaper or anything like that, anything that you write, if you were to copy somebody's work, it's called plagiarism. And you can get in really, really big trouble for that. There is no such thing in animation. If you copy so or or in um, uh, uh, any any film production or game production, if you copy an art asset, espe- uh, 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 unless you're like, okay, I got I got to give this disclaimer. Unless you're like stealing art assets from another company or something. But if you're within the same company, if you're taking, if, if I see an animation, I would do this on film. Is is um, a film would have half the film animated and i would get a shot of like say a character jumping through a window and and i'm like well there's been another shot of a character jumping through you know something else and it's kind of similar let me just take that animation's already been completed bring it into my shot and now i'm i'm over halfway done in fact i'm like 80% of the way done because i'm reusing this work and why can't that be the same thing across many disciplines and not only do I not get in trouble for it? It's kind of like praised because you not. I mean, it's a little bit of an art form in itself to know what is good, <laughs> what is good enough art to copy, right? But um, I will say that on my demo reel, I don't have anything that's copied, so that's that's something to consider. But in terms of like again, the business production mindset, the client doesn't care what's being copied. I would dare say your production probably doesn't care if you're copying stuff. They, it's just we got to get stuff done. It's got to be high quality. And if we're building everything from scratch, why? Why are we building everything from scratch? Every shot, it's starting over from scratch. Why? Every asset starting from scratch. Why? I, I worked at Rhythm and Hughes. I don't know if anybody watching is working at Rhythm and Hughes, has worked at Rhythm and Hughes. For those, Rhythm and Hughes went bankrupt on the film Life of Pi, which was a phenomenal uh, film with, with phenomenal effects. But they, they were running to the ground um, financially, and they, they went bankrupt. And it was just this juxtaposition that was such a big deal of like literally, they won the Academy Award for Life of Pi for visual effects. In, within a few weeks after they won the award, they went bankrupt. And um, of course, there, there's a lot of different reasons, um, a lot of um, controversy on, on whose fault that is. But I will say this, Rhythm and Hughes has built numerous tigers in the past. And Life of Pi, the biggest effect of Life of Pi was, was this ti- the tiger that was phenomenally done. But 
I, when I worked at Rhythm and Hughes, they did not reuse assets because the clients didn't pay for that. And if you, if you, um, um, if the clients are going to pay for a tiger, you got to build a tiger from scratch. Even though they worked on Chronicles of Narnia and and made the lion for that, even though they worked on um, um, the Golden Compass, which had um, numerous feline characters in that film, and, and they had they worked on numerous films with furry creatures and stuff like that, they still would not reuse anything that they've done. For for whatever reason it might be, and I'm not trying to put a judgment on to say that it was a bad decision. I'm just saying it's worth talking about. Why aren't we reusing assets? Why why if we're if we can't build a system that allows us to reuse assets or or have a relationship with our clients that lets us reuse the assets? Why don't we build that? Because <laughs> it would have okay. Anyways, okay. The, the number two here, um, procrastinate. Why? What is this guy talking about? Reuse artwork, procrastinate. This guy's crazy. He's gone nuts. No, my friend, I don't think so. In my career, I've procrastinated more often times than not. And here's and there's there's an art form to procrastinating. It's not I'm lazy. It's I'm gonna let things simmer. When I'm given a shot, an assignment that's like, hey, we want the character to da 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 da. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I a lot, and it takes some of it takes experience, but. I can a lot of times sense when, hmm, I have a feeling that direction might change. <laughs> or I have a feeling that other things need to take place before this is going to start to make sense. So I'm going to treat that as a low priority and allow it to sort of work itself out. And then I'm going to attack this, right? So, so when I'm certain that the direction won't change or we, we know exactly what we want... <clears throat> Then I really attack it, and a lot of times I guess I guess the crude word I'd use is procrastinate. Maybe you guys can come up with a better word, but but um, this isn't again. This isn't about being lazy. This is about being selective, and and through experience, understanding when to to go strong and hard at at a uh, at an assignment right away versus we got to let this play itself out a little bit. Okay. Do not say on the underside of the drawer. This is a this is a a phrase that I've heard um, coming from Pixar, and I read the I read the book. I don't know how many of you have read um, Creativity Inc. And Ed Catmull in his book talks about sanding the underside of the drawer. And basically, what this means, if anybody doesn't know, is is like they put so much detail that that they put uh, put little amount of detail in areas that people will never even see. Right, sanding the other side of the door. Who opens up their dresser drawer and looks underneath and is like, "Ooh, nice, nice job underneath that." It's the phrase that, that they use, and um, so in in the book Creativity Inc. and and this resonated really with me. Uh, Mr. Catmull talks about on the movie Monsters Inc. There's a shot where there's a, a pile of discs um, of like uh, DVDs, I guess, and they're all stacked on top of each other, and and they were pushed over. Um, in one scene. Well, in each one of those, there's like, I don't know, whatever, 10 or 12 um, uh, DVD covers there. Each one of them had original cover art on each one of them. You're never going to see that. You will never see that. And, um, and, and so Cadmill says in his book, he said, we, maybe we took things a little too far at that point. Now I understand there is um, when, when we, when we put, um, detail in areas that we thought we would never need detail. 
a lot of times that can turn out good for us. And that's true. But just understand that it can be very expensive. And especially for like a startup, I don't know, questionable. I, I think, I think um, having the intuition to know what we're going to actually see is more valuable than, than sanding the underside of the drawer just in case somebody wants to see it. So that's my sort of uh, controversial statement there. Um, the, fourth, the fourth point here, the most common excuse that I see in production, and this is what I, I talked about this a little bit earlier. In fact, let me go to my notes. Where are my notes? Here they are. So the mo- most common excuse that I've heard in production is if I just had more time. Ooh. So I, I am sorry if I apologize if this if this is jabbing a little bit at anybody watching. Don't worry, we're all in this together. We're all family. We're gonna we're gonna get through this. Um, if I just had more time. There is truth to that. The, the reason this is such a hard topic is because there is truth to that. For many things out there, if you just have more time, then yes, it could be a success. But that's also can be used all the time and can be overused. And if we just had more time, I remember being on a production where my, where my manager constantly was, was running late on, on, on things, but... but um, was so proud of how good the art looked. But the art was looking good, but the game itself was not doing well. And and his mindset was like, well, we did our job, right? Um, disconnect from the business side of things is how I would, how I would categorize that. And, and having a, uh, a mindset of, if I just had more time, I think a lot of times can be a disconnect from the business mindset. I'd say that would be true if we can give a compelling reason, um, if if uh, a compelling reason as to why we'd need more time and what timeline we would need, right? That that to me would be true. So so um, uh, to just always to just always um, fall on if I just had more time. Well, everybody everybody can say that. Okay, that's number four. Number five, we're we're getting close, friends. We're getting close. Almost, almost done here. Um, do not sacrifice user experience for aesthetic ambition. Do not sacrifice user experience for aesthetic ambition, aka uh, the, 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 the original way I, I, I titled that point was um, I said, <laughs> I said, sometimes lower quality art is the right decision. But that's way too, uh, way too inflammatory, I think. Um, but I do think it's true. I hate to say it, but sometimes lower quality art is the right decision. I said it. I said it. Oh, man. We'll see what kind of hate I get from this. We'll see, see what kind of hate I get from this. But I have a very, very, very good example um, to use. Um, I'm going to, and, and I'm not going to show a video here because uh, just for the sake of time, but I just want you guys to imagine with me because I think just the, the concept of ima- imagining. The situation, which is a real situation, but just I don't need to give visuals. Um, there's a, I play League of Legends. I don't know if anybody else plays, and I, I really like that game, and I think it has great art. Um, but the original art was not that great. It was um, you could tell they focused more on functionality than they did on art, and they had like a big um, um, art turnaround later on in their in their uh, lifespan. But there was a character called Ezreal, and Ezreal's this this um, ranged character with, with magic shots, and and um, 
his animation was um, cringy to me. It was as an animator, I was like, his like his run cycle was very like just boxy, just like this is how he ran. He has like no fluidity when he when he was running. It was just like very boxy and and like. <laughs> I didn't like it. Well, if you know anything about League of Legends, they also have um, their biggest moneymaker is is by selling skins. Skins is like a, a reskin of a character. The character is no more powerful or functional or anything. It's just a different look for the character. And um, a lot of times, these skins can look way cooler and have cooler effects and stuff like that. And, and it just um, kind of enhances the game experience. So people buy the skins, and it's a big moneymaker. Um, but interestingly enough, like you, you can understand why Ezreal, who was one of the earlier characters, was not animated as well as some of the newer characters. Um, and so you would think, okay, well, that was that's because it was an older character, and and okay, you know, we'll, we'll give some grace for that. But the thing is, on new skins, they would still have the same walk, run cycle. What? Why? Why we have all the resources? I, this is I'm 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 paraphrasing as though if I were to work at Riot, it's like why we have all the resources we have we have you know uh, uh, world class artists now world class animators why can't we you know make the the run cycle better why can't we make the animations better but the the thing is that's overlooking the business side of things because if we were to change the run cycle on one of the reskins for Ezreal the the, the animation is not just an aesthetic it's also a branding. So the way that the character runs is a way that as we're playing the game, we we subliminally recognize a character by their movement, not just by their by their model. So if the character has different movement on on different um, skins, then it, it can really mess with the game experience, and that's a very risky thing to do because if you're going to have one skin where the run cycle is this and another skin where the run cycle is that. That you can get confused on. Oh well, is that Ezreal or is that not? And and it can mess with the game experience. So I don't know if they did some purpose or not. But Riot did not um, update the run cycles, even though they had all the all the resources to do until later when they did a complete rework of the whole character. So this this is a key point here because when I say sometimes lower quality art is the right decision, I would say on this example with Ezreal. You should not update just one, uh, just the newer skins for the sake of quality, because that would have lowered the user experience. But when you have the chance to update the entire character across the whole board to where the entire branding of the character's movement can be updated across all the skins, yes, now you do it. And that's exactly what they did. And the the, the animations now look amazing. I think they look so cool. Um, But they waited until they can update across all the skins. So that's just an example of like sometimes lower quality art is the right, is the right decision. Um, but to be more diplomatic, I say uh, don't sacrifice user experience for the sake of artistic ambition. Um, another example, uh, um, this will be quick, is if you consider Yoda from Star Wars. Like from the 70s when Star Wars was made, you have Yoda as a, as a puppet. Well, it's interesting that now when we have all the resources to make him you know, way more fluid or something, we choose not to, right? The filmmakers choose choose not to. They choose to still treat it like a puppet. And the reason is because us as an audience have an affinity with the original way that Yoda had moved or, or was created. And if we mess with that affinity, it's messing with the user experience, right? So as a user, as a viewer, we almost don't want Yoda to be super high quality because... 
in certain areas, like at least the, mo- the, the movement, it would take us away from, from what we know Yoda to be. Okay. Listen to the subconscious of your audience. I think I, think I touched on this a little bit because um, uh, uh, with this Yoda example, it's like if the audience prefers, qu- prefers quality over aesthetics, uh, sorry, quantity over aesthetics, then let's stop trying to make everything look so pristinely perfect. Um, content cadence is, is another example that I, co- I come back to. If, if we have a content cadence and, and the care, your, your audience has an affinity with a certain aesthetic style um, that might not be our favorite, we still need to stick with it because that's what our audience wants. And even if we put side-to-side comparison of like even um, doing an analysis of questioning our audience, which one, which one of these do you like better? Um, they might even say the higher quality art they like better, but the truth is they respond better to, to what they're used to. We need to take that into, into account. All right. Um, I'm going to go to the last one now. The biggest lie about business. And this is what I touched on a little bit earlier. And, um, um, and, and then I think I'll be, I'll be ready for questions and such after this. But um, the biggest lie about business. What am I talking about? What, what am I talking about? I think the biggest lie in business is... If you make a quality product, the money will come naturally. I said it. I said it, friends. The biggest lie in business is if you make a quality product, the money will come naturally. I've already used Rhythm and Hughes as an example. They won the Academy Award. This is, and it wasn't years later. It was two weeks later after they received the award, they went bankrupt. Um, I've seen projects, um, and in mobile games, I've seen some amazing, like artistic projects in mobile and mobile games, and, and I'm sh- in AAA as well that had great art, uh, great quality, even a great gameplay. But why aren't they the the, the most successful product? Um, it's it's true that we have focus on quality. Is a valuable thing. I'm not saying it's not a valuable thing. I'm just saying let's let's weld together art and business. Let's get in the right frame of mind for both sides to connect. And just because we make something quality doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make money. We've got to have people who understand the business side, who can connect the dots. And as artists, we need to understand that if we're going to really call our product quality, then it needs to make money and we need the business people on our side and we need, they need to be on our side as well. Um, and all these uh, connect all these things together. So that's, that's my, um, my big spiel. I, I hope I didn't offend too much, but I thought it would be good to talk about. And uh, um, yeah, I'd be curious if any, anybody has any questions? All right, man. Thank you for that, dude. And Ben, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, and connect with you and have an honest conversation. It's what Judux is yeah, built definitely. around. 
And especially with your uh, jump from different industry as an animator, it really helped kind of paint a better picture for everyone that's out there uh, that is interested uh, in game development and as well as the visual effects companies. And it's it's a very real mm-hmm. thing. I just want to delve it down in what you're saying is that, mm-hmm. um, especially in the visual effects and 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 and, uh, and that film business, right? Uh, we're we're seeing like mm-hmm. an influence. Uh, a huge amount of export into Canada and overseas, you know, the LA area with visual effects is pretty non-existent. Even in the Bay area, uh, ILM is taking a step back. Like this is the biggest, (laughs) that's the biggest visual effects company. And they're taking a step back and, and sizing down and, and, and shipping a lot of those jobs in their other studios. And um, it's, it's a shame that they can't adjust if not for their bids, but adjust internally how they do things uh, for output because um, it, it's a, just an eventual downfall uh, if if one doesn't give in to 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 another. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go straight to the question. I want to remind everybody, just go ahead and, and drop it in the social channels. We do have our moderators out there, Reed Conan. Uh, and I'm going to ask away now. So this question is from Nightwolf. Uh, can you copy a game's or movie's asset from scratch as a way to show that you can meet their standards and in their portfolio? Um, I'd be curious to know the context of, of what you want to... Uh, like, if you're saying we are... Uh, we're a company that can make games for clients, and we're going to copy some other game and show a client that we can we can do that. I don't know if that context would be okay. Um, do, do do you do you have an idea of what the context? Well, uh, the Nightwolf, feel free to follow up on that. Uh, but I think my take is that um, let's say let's say I want to work. Uh, for Metal Gear, right? For Konami. And as part of your portfolio piece, you have a like a fan art, essentially, from Metal Gear and submit that as part of your portfolio to show that you can match their art style, essentially. I think that's what they're asking. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that would be good. Um, that I think that would actually be really good. If you're... If you're so... Yeah, if you're... If you want to do a game for Konami and you are... You are taking some of their um, projects as inspiration to create your own character. Now, if it's going to be the exact same character, um, I still think that would be impressive, like like, um, to be able to create the exact same character that they have in-game. But I think... I would imagine if somebody's recruiting, they'd want to see a little bit of a spin to to know that, like, could you create something like, like with our aesthetic, but a new character? Um, I, I think I would I would encourage. It wouldn't be like frowned upon to create the exact same character, but it would just be more impressive to to take their art style and and add a little like a new character. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a question from Tom Sanjo. Uh, how do you praise an animator rigor for their work so they know you are paying attention and not just looking great when you're not an animator yourself? Oh, well, I will say that it's always, it's always so lovely whenever somebody wants to praise, praise the work that I do. And, and, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be, Hey, that animation was great. It could be like, you were really great in that meeting or you're really great to work with. Um, that's, that's really good as well. But, and I think that would be good for anyone. But, um, I think 
the best compliments for me when somebody's complimenting the aesthetics of my work is um is when I can tell they're not just throwing out compliments. So so I remember getting a compliment once of of like an animation piece that was actually a mistake. Um, like it, it was like submit submit your latest work and we'll talk about it in in the meeting. And I submitted something and it was like it was it was actually a, a broken a broken animation that was like all whacked out. And they were like, "Oh, this is great, good job, really great job." And then and I was like, "Oh man, like that was that's like a botched compliment because I don't think that was a good job." And um, that really, that really hurt the experience of that being a compliment. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, but if I know that that if they if they say, "Hey, like the way that you had the hand move and that fluid arc and like the expression on their face was like I could tell what they were thinking without even hearing any dialogue," that's like a really powerful compliment that that um, that I really like. And and even I remember one time when I was. Um, looking for compliments, if I could say that, um, I would show my animation to to a friend, and I wouldn't look at the fil- the, the the video with them. I'd look at their face to see if they're responding the way I expect them to. Are they laughing when I expect them to laugh? And if they do, then that's a compliment in itself, without even them saying anything. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Uh, well, I guess this is a personal question. Like, uh, well, a question for myself. Um, you you being jumping in different parts of the industries and seeing how how at least the the, the movie industry is kind of in disarray now and I don't see them really getting oh, better. So wild, uh, it's wild, right? So yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of colleagues still connected uh, with you, and um, how are they faring over there? Is is the move now into games, or are they still sticking it out in Canada or wherever else they are right now? That's a good question. Um, I haven't talked much with my uh, VFX friends, um, and I and I kind of um, I say VFX versus like feature feature animation um, because feature animation is is a house that owns all their 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 um, IP, and so they they can afford to just keep their people on. But VFX houses are basically a vendor to uh, and they um, uh, they create work for people who own the IP. And that's a much different world because if you don't, if you don't, if you're not get, given work from a, a client, then you can't pay your your employees, and, and so that's that's much different. Um, I have not talked with my VFX friends lately. Um, I'm actually curious as to it's. I, I feel really saddened by by what's going on, uh, especially for them because I don't see live action. I see live live action in a pretty hurtful place. But conversely to that, I see feature animation in a huge opportunity right now to where you can create films from home working on your computer. You can't create films from home if you're doing live action, right? So I think there's, it's almost like there's, there's a huge opportunity for, for animation because Disney Plus is going to need a huge amount of content. Um, Netflix is having a, needing a huge amount of uh, of content, uh, and then you have all these streaming services. Um, well, what content can they do except animation? So I think there's there's um, some interesting aspects there that um, I'd like to see play out. But when I talk to my friends from feature animation, I think the big topic right now is will feature animation, feature film, allow you to work from home? That's such a big topic because working on a mobile game that has content cadence every two to three weeks. If something gets leaked, 
um, it's it's not a huge deal. It's it's very unprofessional. It might look bad on you, even if you didn't mean to leak it. It still look bad on you, but it's it's going to be okay. If so, if that same thing happens on a film, the whole film could get completely demolished, and and it could be be in ruins if something gets leaked. So, the chance of something getting leaked because of security issues or you know naivety, if somebody uh, d- doesn't mean to leak something and ends up getting leaked, um, I think it's a very real thing. And uh, but yet. I see when I, when I see feature animation potentially being open to that. Um, I've talked with friends from DreamWorks, Pixar, and and uh, and Disney, and it, I would say to the extent that they haven't shot it down, they haven't said, "Oh, there's no way of that happening." It's more of like, "Dude, who knows?" Because we can't go back to work. Um, we got to figure out something. That's that's kind of the conversation, and and that to me is is kind of a step in the direction of we got to do re- re- remote work for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is um, that's actually what you, pretty interesting that you're saying that too. Um, with games right now, we're obviously there's a lot of companies that are forced to kind of make this remote working work, right? So mm-hmm. visual effects, especially in and. And these companies that are set up uh, with very valuable IP and NDA, are, are you hearing a shift on that? So how are they getting work done? Uh, because they're not, they're, I think they're less set up than us uh, to, to do this. Um, yeah, I, I think you, 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 you phrased it correctly. The, val- the valuable uh, confidential IP is... Uh, I just, I'll just say I'm super fascinated at maybe where, where this goes because um, uh, if, if we can create films and we can create AAA games working from home, and I put AAA games and film kind of together because I do think that has the valuable confidential IP that if something gets leaked. Um, if we can do that from home and it's effective and trustworthy, um, and and company executives are not on pins and needles at all times because at any moment anything can get leaked. And if we can do that effectively, I I mean, I, it just blows my mind because what that that to me is a changed world. That to me is a, is like we are experiencing right before our eyes in our in this very generation in just a matter of months, maybe even maybe years. Uh, we're seeing like uh, one of the biggest shifts in human history of. Of we were all working in the office once upon a time. Now, most of us can work from home, and we can do it effectively and with high confidence and confidentiality. Um, it's it's such a fascinating topic for me, and I I'm about fifty fifty on whether or not that can happen with films and AAA games. Um, but I think I've always had a dream whenever Twitch first came out. I shouldn't say first came out, but but it was maybe about five years ago when I started getting involved with Twitch. I was like, it'd be so cool if we just all worked online on Twitch with an audience making a game. And we were all just, you know, we could, it didn't matter. We could show our assets, show, show the uh, production assets. What, like I can animate a character that maybe not be released yet, but it's all publicity anyways to do it online. Um, and I wonder if if that might have some some appeal as well. I doubt I doubt that, but um, uh, who knows where we're going to go? Because 
you know, a year ago or even six months ago, I wouldn't have expected that that we would have, be having the conversation that that we'd have these kinds of productions working from home. And also to think about um, <clears throat> what do you do about hiring, right? How do you hire somebody for, for remote work? How do you get them? How do you do orientation? How do you get them their computers and get them all set up and, and get all the the software and everything? It's navigating that is. Uh, I don't know if anybody if anybody is not interested in that. I I I it just blows my mind because uh, I think it's a changed world to be able to do that. Yeah, I, I definitely um, agree with you there. Like the last two months of anything, a lot of the friends and colleagues around the industry are are battling with that exactly. It's like uh, not everyone has a nice rig at home, and so yep. these companies are are finally um, having to cash up <laughs> and get these systems there because uh you know deadlines have to still be met even though yep. uh, eventually they they're going to be delayed mm-hmm. but uh we got to get people working and like you said this this pandemic is um it doesn't really have an end date just yet people were hoping yeah. by the by june right yeah well it's already june and now people yep, are kind of yep. looking at the end of summer but to be honest i think the rest of 2020 is going to look like this until there's a vaccine. yeah 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 and then you're hearing more and more companies um <clears throat> uh talk about work from home till the end of the year um i i know that uh that that my current my current employer is um, I think it's okay for me to say is voluntary work from home till the end of the year. It's mandatory until September, but voluntary through the end of the year. And I think a lot of people are going to are going to um, capitalize on that and work from home. Um, and honestly, I, I, I think people should. Right? It's I mean, who, know, who knows what's going to happen, but but also, um, uh, I think the more practice we can get working from home, then the better these processes will be. Also. I was, I was, I think Facebook was the very first, if I remember, the first major company to say um, work from home until the, through the end of the year. And um, in a way, I was kind of like, well, that kind of makes sense because Facebook would would benefit greatly from creating tools and processes of working from home. They could actually create a product of a work from home product uh, that might even have good good um, uh, security features that they can actually give out as a, as a product to clients because they've done it all internally themselves. Like it, it's actually really advantageous for them to develop systems that work from home. Um, but I don't know if I, how I could ever wrap my head around somebody not setting foot in the office and you hire them and give them, what would you like mail them a computer? Would you mail them a desk? Um, I, I don't really, I don't know how that, that would work. Um, but I think this is almost like an entire uh, 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 talk in itself of what might what might happen with with the remote work situation. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe in the next GDUX we'll have a better insight. <laughs> but from what I'm yeah. hearing, when I'm talking to people who who are working from home, who are working on AAA, these companies that used to say no, you cannot work from home, are doing it because they have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, are, are are doing exactly what you're you're saying. They're they're shipping yeah. computers out to these guys. Oh, and, and also want to add. Mm-hmm. I also want to add that, um, and this might be health, like a, a nice interaction with with the um, the business mindset is is um, I, I think that um, 
when companies start to purposely not have enough office space because they're they're focused so much on people working from home, that's when I think the the like we'll, we will have turned a corner. Um, when when the, the the companies are like we are we we are purposely going to save money by not having as much office space because we need people work from home. I think I think that's a a big a big turning point. Um, but in, in addition to that, so you said like now it's almost like companies don't have a choice, and uh, and I think that's true, and I think that's part of the business aspect. Like I think companies have always kind of like thought about this. I know I know my um, um, my company has. And and I know of others who have, where it's like, we allow people to work from home occasionally. Well, what, you know, why don't we allow people to work from home more often? There's actually a big risk factor to that. If you're a company who's like, okay, we're going to let everybody work from home, well, nobody, no other companies are doing that. So if something doesn't work out, if the production starts to lose steam because of, I don't know, for whatever reason, you're taking a big risk as a company to try that out. But since every company is forced to do that right now, the business, there's no, there's no extra business risk to do this because everybody's doing it, and it's it's almost like the only way that that the world would turn to work from to, to the world would turn into a work from home world is if something like a pandemic happened because no company would would take the risk on their own. So, I think I think there's some uh, uh, answers in that aspect when we put on our business hats of of um, why it might be working now. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, and everything that you're saying in your talk is what I felt throughout the career. It's like, I'm uh, really, a big okay, proponent. so yeah, go ahead. So maybe I, I'm not the only one <laughs> who's no, thought about not. these things. No, well, I mean, okay, you're, you're the, I, I think you're the first one to, um, to really highlight it. I think a lot of what you said is something that, again, uh, haven't been said in that way. Right. So it was refreshing to kind of hear because as we go through this industry, we're always pushed to kind of work harder, but not smarter. So mm. working smarter, it's definitely giving you a longer shelf life. And we've had uh, presenters e- even during this GDX with Mickey yesterday who talked about and he's like such a proficient artist, um, always pumping out work. But he hit he hit like a, a wall in terms of um, just burning out. And um, there is that like internal passion that only takes us so far. But when you're trying to up yourself or meet demands or hit deadlines every single time. Yeah. Are you going to be able to do that till you're 60? And I can't. (laughs) And most artists (laughs) and developers can't do that. So, uh, yeah, I think shortcuts and, and putting out quality at the same time is the best way to go. Well, well, and also something that that something some extra benefits that I like. I would I would consider myself like bullish on this idea. Um, extra benefits that make me bullish is is you have a lot more um, um, patience, right? Uh, I've had people ask me like, "How do you not get angry when the director changes the shot on you?" And it's like, "Well, because I haven't worked on the shot yet. I learned how to procrastinate. <laughs> I learned mm-hmm. I learned how to to not put my heart and soul into something until I know that something is going to be carried through. And even even if even when I'm working on an assignment, I kind of be like, I'll treat it about fifty to seventy five percent until I get like the final approval of like, yeah, that's what we want. And I'll take it to completion. Then I'll be like." Bam, and I go really hard to make it like the best I could possibly make it. If I'm making it 
super detailed all the way from the very beginning is the best work I've ever done in my life. That's super exhausting. I don't think I don't think anybody can do that. And back to um, an analogy with baseball, I, like when when you're playing baseball, um, there's a lot of standing around, right? Um, if you, with every with every pitch. It, once the pitcher starts throwing the ball, then all the fielders get ready. How weird would it be if all the fielders, are, uh, the, all the position players are like ready throughout you know the three-hour game of just like, you know, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready. It's like, dude, the ball's not even like being thrown yet. Like, chill out, chill out, okay? <laughs> like, just, you're going you're gonna to drive yourself crazy. You're not, you're going to actually lose steam. You're going to actually not be able to perform at your best when the ball is actually hit to you because you've been like so tense the entire game you know, because you want to be ready the whole time and show everybody that you're ready. Um, and in some ways I can compare that to, to, to working in animation. You know, let's just take some big brush strokes here of doing this and that and kind of throwing an idea. And I, you know, I'm not married to this. I'm just, you know, it's just, let's collaborative. And it's like, Oh, we definitely like that. Okay. Now I'm going to go hard at it. Now I'm going really, really hard. And um, there have been times where I've had, my heart broken with something that's been cut, but it's, it's been very rare. Um, and I think because I've, I've learned how to disconnect from, um, from those tough decisions that directors have to make or um, that games have to make to, to, to cut some work that, that I've done. Um, and they are, they are tough decisions, but, but I've always been able to respect it and be okay with it because um, um, uh, I think a lot of it is the mindset of, procrastinating the mindset of copying work if i've if i've if i've copied over if again to the like jump through the window example if if i have an animation somebody jumped through the window and i copy over the animation and i show it to the director i haven't put that much work into it yet hmm. and if they don't like it then it's no 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 uh no problem no harm no, no problem and it, it actually makes you look very flexible to be able to do that i am with you on that so um be environment artist, right? And building the world. <laughs> many science yes. and projects where uh, an idea has to be tried out and there's no way to show it, but to show it. And that, you know, building the world is a lot of work and uh, you can get really fatigued from throwing away a lot of work. And as an yes. environment artist, the more experienced you are, there's a smarter way to do it and uh, a lot of it is just having these this library of assets that you've built in mm. the past and use that as a resource to kind of build an yes. idea quickly and um and the f the best people are not like you said necessarily the best quality in the world ever done right it's the fastest yeah. the fastest shippable quality is usually the best yeah. in the office and the most valuable and they're and the employer usually in the client feels uh that person gives the most value because of that reason because he does mm -hmm. something really fast it's shippable and uh mm -hmm. most importantly you know when they bring in the bad news of like you know we got to throw that away or cut it uh, his yeah. response is very professional, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a very, very I, flexible. I definitely sign off. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool guy. Yeah. We, we, we throw away like hours of work in, in their eyes. Right. But for you, it's like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, I made it for you guys because I know how you guys are. <laughs> so bad. Yeah. It's very smart. It's very senior mentality. Uh, and then the ones that last so. the longest have a, 
that type of approach that I, I definitely appreciate and I want to echo as much as possible. Yeah. I, actually, working smart. I should have I should have said that. I didn't say that anywhere in my in my presentation, but that that's pretty much summarizes it. I think. I got you, man. I got you. So uh, we are at the hour mark, and again, I want to thank you, Ben, for for coming on. I can talk for hours with you, and it's great to have your energy to kind of anchor the three day conference that I've been going. Yeah, I mean, these suspenders look cool, but you know they're kind of <laughs> restricting <laughs> and they're choking me a bit. So uh, uh, before even the next GDEX, man, I want to have you back on and open an invitation to to come on the podcast. It'll be oh, in a different room. Won't be in the motel, but it'll be on a yeah. different uh, different set, I guess. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, that's an honor. I, lo- I love talking about yeah. this stuff. So, uh, to anybody who wants to to listen, I could talk all day about it. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I know there's a lot of questions still. So, uh, if you don't mind, Ben, if you have extra time or not, may- me sure. maybe immediately after, but sometime in the future, uh, we do have a Discord channel open. So, if you want to talk to Ben directly. Uh, go ahead and DM. Well, not DM. I'm just talking to the GDUX chatter. Uh, aside from that, before I sign off and and, and say goodbye, I want to hand the mic over to you if you want to put your contact slide up so people can find you after uh, the conference. Maybe they're watching a recording of this. Uh, they can reach you at. Okay. Let me just... I'll just put up my, my Twitter, I think. Okay. Um, I do have yeah, your Twitter on the TV here. I, uh, I, I yeah, that, I, it, it, <laughs> oh yeah, there, there it is. There it is. Fine spine double O. Um, cause yeah. believe it or not, fine spine was taken from, twi- from Twitter. Oh, wow. <laughs> fine spine was nowhere else on the internet, but it was on Twitter. So I couldn't get fine spine on Twitter. Um, Once so I did double O. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's, that's pretty much the best. I think the best way, um, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I think that would be a good way just through my name. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, but I, I don't really, I, I'm not really too involved with these things. Um, it's more of like, I don't know if, if enough people were like, Hey, where's that guy? We want him back or something. Then I'm like, okay, well, let me, let me update my social media. But, mm-hmm. but um, for the most part, I just, I, I'm pretty low key on, on those things. So I think Twitter might be the best way to, if you just, Add me on Twitter. Well, you hear him. People just tweet at him at FineSpline00. There you go. And if you're watching a recording of this, we'll we'll put all your information down there for you for everyone to click through. If you're listening to this, we'll make sure that you have it in the link description as well. So Ben, thank you for being part of this time, G Ducks. Ah. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll hear you on the podcast in the future. Dude, that's awesome. I really appreciate it and I'd love to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody